dokie then. Let's uh, get started with hour number two. And, of course, you know what we do in hour number two, right? We. That's what we do. And if I could time it that well every time, <laughs> I'd get a an Oscar for radio, which Top Gun Maverick didn't get an Oscar except for sound, and I'm just bummed about that. But anyway, an Oscar-nominated Republican National Party official is on the phone. I, I have no where that idea where that come from. You deserve an Oscar, though, for to just really very well playing the role of a Republican Party official. You've just done a great job at that. Um, so we've got Reorg coming up. This is Drew McKissick, by the way, for those who don't know. We, we, we talk to him on a regular enough basic, the most basis that most people know that it's Drew McKissick Day. But uh, we've got the reorganization of the Republican Party, and that is a confusing thing to a lot of people's ears. So you can tell that story better than anybody. Tell them what's coming up this week. Sure. All right, so... What happens is every two years, all political parties in South Carolina, but in this case the Republican Party, reorganizes itself once every two years. Now, so we have the election, and after the election's over, you know, well, everybody, of course, takes a break for the holidays and uh, uh, ramps down a little bit. Uh, but then we begin to work to find other people who want to join the party organization and be a part of the next campaign. So, in other words, right now we are organizing for the 2024 campaign. Right. And legally what that means is we have local precinct meetings. We have 2,300, give or take, precincts in South Carolina. We have seven congressional districts, uh, 46 counties, and one state party organization, and then one national organization. So basically, it is a big pyramid scheme. <laughs> not in the bad sense. You know, right. We're not, right. not trying to make you rich or anything here. Um, but we organize at the precinct to the local neighborhood level to begin with. So anybody who wants to get involved in the party can come to the precinct meeting for your particular precinct within your county. They're all held generally on the same day in counties around the state. So, for instance, in Greenville uh, County, uh, let me pull my date up here in front of me. So Greenville's precinct meetings will be March the 27th. Right. Spartanburg County's precincts will, meetings will be March the 18th. That's and by the Saturday. way, if I forget, yeah. you can go to scgop.com slash get local, and you can sign up to get the dates for your area if you're in a different county and where the locations of the meetings will be, there, you know, depending on where you live. Um, so you hold the precinct meetings. That means you can run for a delegate position to your county convention. You can run for a local precinct office, the precinct president, the precinct committee man who sits on the county committee, which is like the board of directors for the county party organization. Uh, we'll have county conventions in April where we do essentially the same thing. Elect delegates to state convention, elect county party leadership, uh, and then a state convention in May. And then those state delegates will also reconvene next year and elect delegates to the Republican National Convention, which will be in Milwaukee of next year, where we will nominate, hopefully, the next president of the United States, uh, potentially make changes to the platform, uh, whatever they may be, rules, et cetera. So th this is the process where we build the campaign machinery to win the next election. Uh, and we need people at the grassroots level to be a part of it, obviously. 
Yeah, that's uh, and 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 it's where people learn about the election process. They they find out how the process works and they can plug in at the grassroots level. And that's why it's so important. We we don't to have a strong Republican Party, we have to have a strong structure, and that structure begins at the precinct level with people coming to the meetings, getting involved, learning about how it works, voting for leaders that are then are able to make decisions that take the party forward. And if I could just say one other thing about that, the bottom line is anything successful in politics is going to be built around people, generally speaking. Obviously, you have to have a good message, message to attract people, a message that's relevant to what they care about, to make them want to get involved with us or with any particular campaign. But it starts with people. People, uh, you know, politics is still P-E-O-P-L-E. You got no people, you got no organization, you got no political success, you've got no victory, then you've got no policies you care about, and you've got more stuff to complain about. You have to find and work together with other people who think like you do. So our job right now is to find as many like-minded conservatives who want to work together to advance a conservative agenda to be part of the county party organization uh, and to, again, help us find good candidates and help them get elected to office. That's what we're for. Well, and here's, here's a word of caution. As, as people find out about this process, because not a lot of people show up, Generally, I mean, it, we we want a lot of people to show up, but generally there are, there are not a whole lot of people that show up. Because that's that's true, it gives the opportunity for people to show up with an agenda that's based more in their own personal gain than it is in the advancement of conservative principles or uh, it, right. you know advancing the party. So if if you don't show up and people who have that goal show up. Um, you're you're going to have some chaos ensue, uh, and the purpose yeah. of the party, the per, and and here's the thing, it it's not it it's complicated because people have a right to do that. They do. Uh, they can show up. They can, and if they bring more people than the other people that normally are there, then they win the elections and they get to make the decisions. But then the question becomes, what is the motivation for those decisions, and how are they carrying out the responsibility that they've gained? If you don't have responsible people who are looking at the big picture, running the mechanism, then you're going to have a failure of, of the system. That's just the way that works. Absolutely. As Ronald Reagan once put it, you know, personnel is policy. The type of personnel that you have, that's the type of policies that you're going to have. Uh, and this is essentially a personnel process. This is about what people want to get involved, be a part of the party organization, potentially help recruit candidates, make decisions, help us win elections. And, you know, there's a seat for everybody. But as you point out on a percentage basis, very few people come because <laughs> it's, it's, it's like you said, it's a lot of potential opportunity uh, because so few people do come, the people who do actually show up have influence in greater percentage or, or, or you know, greater than their numbers, essentially. Right. And the result is it can be skewed based on who does or does not show up. We want good conservatives of goodwill who want to work together with one another to advance a conservative agenda and help win campaigns and help change policy. That's the bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. That's a healthy party. I mean, and the party in South Carolina, Republican Party, has been healthy for a long time. Now, we could argue that there are things that the Republican Party should be doing at the legislative level that, for whatever reason, they're failing to do. 
but the but underneath you've got to have a strong grassroots system if you want to have any hope of calling our legislators into accountability and to maybe if you don't like what they're doing to put other people in those seats that's that's just kind of the way politics works as you know as we point out politics is about people that means organizations are and people are imperfect and so organizations are imperfect right uh, and so there's always places where we can do a better job. But in terms of how we've been doing the job here in the last uh, several election cycles, uh, we've had the best election cycles for Republicans in over 150 years in each of the last two elections. And that's because we've had good people organized right. at the local level right. doing the kind of job that we just described a minute ago. And, but that's something we have to make sure that we have every two years. And that's what this process is about. Let me ask you a question that's maybe philosophical. Uh, but but also functional in the sense that when I look around at other states, I mean, I look at Florida, I look at Tennessee, um, I look at Texas. You know, Tennessee just passed, uh, I look at Arkansas, T- Tennessee just passed a, a, a law that prevents drag queens from doing their show in front of minors. I mean, that's it. You know, it's not telling drag queens that they can't go be a drag queen. Which, you know, if I was king for a day, I would probably do, quite frankly. But I, I get it. We, we live in a free society where people get to make, adults get to make decisions about who and what they do uh, among adults that's not hurting anybody. But with children, right. we, we protect them. So Tennessee passes that law. Tennessee passes a law against gender reassignment surgery. Arkansas passes a sweeping education bill that's going to, within a several years, ramp up their uh, choice in education in Arkansas to universal choice, and it's going to protect children all the way up to the fifth grade from hearing all about these uh, the smorgasbord of sexual decisions that you can make, which children have no business hearing about um, until they're mature enough to be able to take. So you see that happening. Um, we've got, uh, as I was writing my column for the Baptist Courier for April, I went back and looked, and we've got 14 states that have what I would call highly restrictive laws against abortion, protecting life. And yet here here we are in, in South Carolina, and I look at what we're doing in the legislature, and I, I, I don't understand with the great majorities and the structure that the party has delivered and put Republicans in office, we seem to struggle getting some things accomplished. Help me to understand that. Well, you know, sometimes it depends on the issue, and it depends on the personnel involved. And right. like you said, personnel is policy. Uh, and also sometimes relationships uh, can come into play in this. Um, you know, and say, for instance, on the life issue, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, we passed a wonderful uh, Human Life Protection Act. Uh, I mean, excuse me, uh, the uh, heartbeat bill, rather, right. um, several years ago. And it was a great achievement, the most pro-life piece of legislation ever passed in the history of South Carolina. And then, unfortunately, we had what happened with the state Supreme Court, which has put us in the position where we are now, where, you know, we're deciding, and I say we in this sense, the legislature, you know, is deciding, uh, do we try to reinstate the status quo ante, you know, before the Supreme Court here screwed it up? And we've now added another Supreme Court you know, justice, by the way, so we do have change there. Uh, or do we 
go a step further and do we try the Human Life uh, uh, Protection Act uh, with the exceptions that it's drawn up? The House has done one idea, the Senate has done the other idea, and they're both staring at one another now. Um, you know, the folks on the Senate side say they don't have enough votes to get what the House has. And the House says, well, we need to do what we've done because the Supreme Court won't take up anything that looks like what just got overruled. Who's got the right answer there personally between you and me? I don't know uh, because it comes down to counting noses on the Senate side. I don't do that professionally. Uh, right. <laughs> and that would probably, right. probably be a bad uh, occupation. Uh, so, so as far as that issue goes and where it's going to end up and, and who's right there, I don't know what's actually possible. What I do know should be, uh, should be possible. Uh, is that something should get done on that issue before this legislative session is over. There's no reason in the state of South Carolina, with Republican majority, supermajority, essentially in both chambers, uh, that we can't walk away with one of those things done at the end of this session, that we can't right. be the state that is essentially wide open in terms of abortion now, going from where we were just you know, less than a year ago. That's unacceptable. Uh, so one of those things does have to happen. Now, when you look at other potential issues, um, you know, I, I look at it this way, Tony. There is so much crazy that has gone off the rails in our culture around the yeah. country today yeah. that it's like playing whack-a-mole. There, there's like there's some weird thing that you wouldn't even think about somewhere in some other state is actually happening right now. So somebody's going to jump up and suggest we need to make a law to stop this crazy stuff from happening. And then we're going to read about it next week on Fox News, and we're going to think, well, we don't have a law about that. Well, why don't we have a law about that here? Well, that, that's because right. nobody's really thought to do anything that crazy here before. <laughs> yeah, so in other words, we, we don't see it right in front of our faces the way maybe they were doing, right. like the university, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt University in Tennessee. Right. We, we don't have right. that. So, you know, it's, it's a, the, the sense of urgency is lower in South Carolina because of that. I think that. that's, part of, that's yeah. part of the answer to your question, I think. Well, final question. Is the uh, Republican Party in South Carolina, do we have a, a plank against gambling? I would assume that we do, that we're not, we're not the party uh, of gambling. Yeah. Yes, we do. Okay. So it, it, it fascinates me. I told somebody the other day, I said, we've got a bill in the House and one in the Senate named the Equine Advancement Act. Uh -huh. And that's like writing the history of the Titanic and calling it icebergs in the North Atlantic. Um, because the purpose, <laughs> the, the purpose of this is to introduce paramutual betting to save the horse industry. And it just – why are we – I don't. I guess that's something I don't understand. But at least we need to let well, people know that that's happening. Oh well, well, look. Yes, those bills have been introduced. I don't think they're going to go anywhere. Personally, um, you know, I think it's we have much less chance of that happening than the other bill that we worked so hard against last year. You know, that was uh, just as um, yes, the uh, M word, named yes. the medical marijuana bill. Yeah, you know, we yeah. actually were able to stop in the House of Representatives last year. Uh, you know, and this purpose is to eventually open the rule for recreational marijuana in South Carolina. We stopped that. Um, you know, so, yes, that bill is there. Yes, there are folks who want paramutual bidding in South Carolina. I don't believe they're going to have the traction to actually make any progress. Uh, and, you know, if they began to get close, I think you would see a significant number of people in the conservative movement and within the party rise up and stop it, just like, you know, happened with medical marijuana last year. Well, I, and I want to, I'm, I'm going to say this real quick and I'm going to let you go. You've given us a lot of time this morning. Uh, but you, you have been as party chairman, you care about these issues because you lean in when they, when they hit 
the legislature. And I, I just I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. I mean, anybody that's in a grassroots position, they want to look up and see the guy that's got the role of leadership, not only saying go get them, but getting in the fight with them. And I, I, I've just you've always done that. And I'm very grateful. Well, well, part of that comes down to the, to the job, as I see it. And that is, you know, we've got a platform for a reason. Uh, you know, I, I can't be the policy police every day of the week because right. we do have a job to do, putting together the structure to actually win campaigns. It's an organizational job. It's a technician's job. Right. But at the same time, communications, message, the policies that we advocate for drive the people which help make the election process possible. And there are some, you know, there are some red lines, and they're delineated in our platform. Uh, and you know, occasionally we, we've got to stand up and uh, you know, have a conversation about some of those things if they start to go in the wrong direction. Drew, thanks. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Have a great rest of your week. Yes, sir. Thank you, Tony. His Radio Talk, 919897, is going to cease to be his Radio Talk on March 31st. It's going to be, become a music format. And so you're going to have to look around to find the talk shows that you like. A lot of them you're hearing announcements on the station about uh, how to how to follow different people um, after the station becomes a music format. And the way you're going to be able to follow me is drtonybeam.com, drtonybeam.com. That's all you need to know. You can go to that website when it's up and running. It's not up yet, but will be hopefully by the end of the week. And you can find articles that I've written. You can stream the show live every morning from 7.30 to 8.30. We're going to do an hour. We're going to back the show down to an hour. It's going to be action-packed. So you're not going to miss any information. You just need to hang on as uh, we tackle some of these topics. And then that's going to be posted as a podcast under the title uh, Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Bean. Uh, you can stream that through your car radio. You can Bluetooth it through the radio, I should say, stream it on the website. Uh, there are going to be a lot of ways. You can watch live on Facebook just like you're doing now. And um, hopefully we're going to have a platform at Rumble and maybe on um, – YouTube as well that will allow you to watch the program there. So um, we're not going anywhere. I mean, we're we're changing locations. It's going to be my dining room. It's going to be the new studio. But uh, you know, we're we're going to continue. The show must go on. So I hope you'll make plans to join us. All right, President Biden is uh, starting to disappoint progressives, and the the question is why. Now, I know for conservatives, we still we look at President Biden and we think he's he's the most out there left wing progressive president that has been certainly in our lifetime, maybe in the last hundred and fifty years or so. Um, And so we we see that. But what are progressives seeing and what are some of the signs that Biden is softening toward the progressive agenda? Well, first, he abandons his past statements supporting home rule, and he stands with Republicans opposing a District of Columbia criminal code overhaul that would have reduced sentences for carjackers and a bunch of other people, by the way. Uh, Then he opens the door to reviewing the practice of detaining migrant families who cross the border illegally. He's talking about the possibility of family segregation at the border, something that progressives just went nuts over when President Trump did it, even though it's according to federal law. Now the Biden administration has given formal approval 
for a huge oil drilling project in Alaska known as Willow, which has environmentalists bungee jumping off the Chrysler building in New York. I mean, they're just, they are apoplectic. They can't even speak. They're just, because they can't believe that President Biden would do this. Greens are getting the consolation prize in that the Bureau of Land Management substantially reduced the size of the project by denying two of the five drill sites proposed by ConocoPhillips, which is seeking to develop oil and gas leases that it acquired beginning in the late 1990s. You know how long these oil leases have been available? And there's no telling how much oil is underneath the ground. They, they're, in fact, they're not speculating here. They can tell. They know the oil is there. They just got to go get it out of the ground. Environmental groups and Democratic members of Congress are not placated, though, by the land management decision, the Bureau of Land Management, at all, judging by their statements. The Sierra Club statement warns, warns that the harmful effects of President Biden's decision cannot be overstated. By allowing ConocoPhillips to move forward with this operation, he and his administration have made it almost impossible to achieve the climate goals they've set for public lands. Well, they were unrealistic goals to start with, okay? Um, so what, 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 what is this? What's up with President Biden? The first answer is that he's moving toward the center because he's getting ready to run for president. And just like he, you know, basically presented himself as the kindly old gentleman that was going to restore order and and pleasure and and love and all these things to the country. I mean, he was, you know, he was going to come up out of the basement after he got the nomination for president once he got elected. And he was going to restore unity. He was going to be fair. He was not going to pursue extremist policies of the past. And he was going to restore dignity to the government. And he's absolutely done the opposite. He's become a wave. The moment he went into office, he became a, a, a you know a tsunami of progressive policies dividing the country over race and sexuality and just about everything else. So. Now he's got to run for president again. He's got to be Mr. Moderate Biden. So he's moving to the center. But this is also, there's another thing in play here, which is really interesting to me, politically speaking, because you've got the former White House chief of staff, Ron Klain, nicknamed the prime minister in some circles because he was central to Biden's decision making. Look, he was running the country, okay? The president's not all there. Everybody knows that. That's not a debatable point. That, that's something that gets put on display every day when the president opens his mouth. For the most part, he, he's in, in pretty much incapable of getting through a speech without multiple gaffes that his staff has to go clean up after he finishes giving the speech. So somebody's pulling the lever. Somebody's running the show. Ron Klein happened to be a leftist, a progressive. And he was pushing Biden toward the left. His successor, Jeff Zintz, who took over February 8th, is le either, either he's less instinctively liberal or less interested in fulfilling the progressive wish list in Biden's third or fourth year of office. So the guy behind the curtain 
Who is that? You know, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain, the great and powerful Biden. No, somebody's pulling the levers. And the guy that was pulling them before as chief of staff is gone. And he was he was a dedicated progressive, a leftist to the core. We don't know a whole lot about Jeff Zents yet, but either he's being politically pragmatic or he's just not as far left as the former chief of staff. And therefore, he's guiding Biden back in a more moderate direction. Now, don't get me wrong. Okay, it's it's not that President Biden is going to suddenly become Ronald Reagan. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that these decisions, I just gave you three decisions, drilling in Alaska, and, and then you've got the home rule, abandonment of the idea of home rule in D.C., where he supported Republicans in put, pushing back, using a, a law that's on the books, where Congress can overrule the decision made in Washington, D.C. when it comes to their, their laws. You've got those two things. And then the migrant families, the issues at the border, becoming beginning to look a little bit more, at least in conversation, of what President Trump was doing. Now, they're not actually doing it yet because it, the border is a mess still. But the conversation is leaning toward much more conservative solutions. And Biden would not be doing that unless, one, he's trying to gain support from the middle as he runs for president, or two, his chief of staff just happens to be a little bit less crazy than the last chief of staff and is, and is allowing or pushing Biden still to the left, but not as far left as before. Okay, before I get into this story from The Federalist, I need to clarify something, okay? And I need, I need to make it clear. I like Mike. I'm talking about Mike Pence. I uh, had a chance to see him in the upstate a couple of weeks ago. Um, was privileged to be asked to pray over him and his family. I mean, the guy, is he just exudes integrity, a quality of character. I mean, he's, he's a believer. There's no question about that. I mean, it, at least not for me. Let me just – let me – Put this in context here. I'm talking about for me. So I'm going to treat this story in a way that I would treat it if I, if I have a good friend that I care about that I think is, is doing things that are going to hurt them. Okay? Uh, Mike, Prince, Mike Pence wants to be president. Now, with, with all due respect to him being a really good guy, I don't think he has any chance in getting the nomination. Uh, he is, he's forever for right or wrong. And I, I don't, I don't believe what he did on January 6th was wrong. I, I think he stood up for the constitution. I, I don't think he had the power or authority just because one or two people told him he did to overturn the results of an election, to put off the, the vote of Congress I don't believe that he did, and I believe that he was being pressured to do that, and he refused, and he stood for the principle that has put presidents in place since the beginning of our country. So I, you know, I, but he's forever going to be pictured in the minds of many, 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 many people who are going to support President Trump 
as a traitor. I mean, they're gonna they see him that way now. Whether they want to hang him or not, like some of the people on January six wanted to do, it, it, not everybody's in that boat. Thankfully, I think that's a pretty small. I think that's a dinghy. Okay, it's a little rubber raft. It's not a cruise cruise line of the people that are on in that boat. But still, there are a lot of people who believe that he was wrong, and because of that, they would never see him as presidential material. At the gridiron dinner the other night, which, you know, it's it's a white tie gathering of Beltway media and political insiders, and he was invited to come and speak. And he did a couple of things that are not going to help him in trying to get the nomination or causing people to think favorably of him. Uh, of him. Now, he, I, I'm not going to get into a whole lot about what he said about President Trump. Trump has trashed Mike Pence. And so for people to get mad if Pence actually pushes back a little bit, I mean, what what are you going to do? I mean, the guy's been painted by President Trump as a traitor. And whether you believe that or not, he's got the right to defend himself, okay? Um, but some of the things, in, in talking about the corporate media, what we would call the big media, the, and, and I'm not talking about individual reporters here who are doing their job. I'm talking about the media as a whole. He said that we were able to stay at our post, that is on January 6th, in part because you stayed at your post. The American people know what happened that day because you never stopped reporting. I mean, he's stroking all these media types that have done nothing but present a narrative that's that's basically a made-up story about what happened on January 6th. Now, January 6th was a terrible day. It was a it, it it's something that never should have happened. People got hurt. And America's reputation got hurt. And those people that went into the Capitol that day are not heroes. But neither are they insurrectionists to the point that they should be treated like, as President Biden has said repeatedly, this is the worst thing that's happened to America, the greatest threat to democracy since the Civil War. And that gets repeated over and over, and only the pictures of the violent part of January 6th get shown over and over. And so people have a one-sided view of what actually happened. And what the American people need is the truth about it. They can make their own decisions. The, and the January 6th committee, of course, didn't aid that or advance the truth in any way. All they did was have a telling, not a hearing, but a telling. They told a story. They backed it up. They, they didn't allow any adversarial questioning of witnesses. Everybody was just joined hands, sang kumbaya, and said, here's what happened on January 6th, with, with nothing to, re, to rebut any of it. So that was totally worthless. And so for Mike Pence to go to a media dinner and praise the media and political insiders when and, and basically call Tucker Carlson's reporting into question, you know, all Tucker did was show video that was available that nobody's seen before. Why have we not seen it? It's very simple. It it doesn't support the narrative that the media has been giving us, that we've got to call all Republicans into suspicion 
because they're all insurrectionists, which, again, no one has been charged with or convicted of. Insurrection. Not even though that's the word of choice from progressives. Um, those that were with Pence bragged to the media that that they they praised the attacks on Trump and Carlson as part of a campaign to win the Republican nomination. When, according to a new article in Politico, the Pence team intentionally crafted their remarks because they believe it would help Pence win over his most skeptical audience these days, Washington insiders and journalists. Why? I mean, if that's, if that's true, why? I mean, that's, that's going against where the electorate is. Now, you know, Pence has stood up and, and def- defended um, some people in the Republican Party. Um, and, I mean, he's, he, he's been vocal in calling some instances into account. And, and that's a good thing because the, the other rap against him is that he doesn't take strong positions. He doesn't get out there and say what a lot of Americans are thinking. So, you know, I, I hope he'll turn away from this strategy. Look, I, again, I, I don't think he has a great path to be president, but I think he's a great person. And I think we need more people with his kind of character in leadership roles. I, I don't want people who are mean, you know what, that, that you know, to, to, to lead us. There are good people who have good ideas and are not afraid to back down from the media. They need to be leading us. And we need to thank Mike Pence for his service, but I just... I, I don't think the path to him getting the nomination, and I would tell him this if we were sitting here having a one-on-one conversation, I don't mean this to belittle him because I don't. I don't mean this to throw him under the bus because he doesn't belong there, okay? I mean it as sincere evaluation of what he's doing. I don't think this is going to help him. In fact, I know it won't particularly not with the base of the Republican Party and not even with the mainstream because they're just going to see him as being McCain. This is, this is kind of something that John McCain would have done. And God rest John McCain's soul, but he wanted the media spotlight. And when, when you decide that that's what you want, then your actions get controlled by, by those in the media that you want to please. And you once you do that, it it's the next thing to go are your principles. And I'm not saying that Mike Pence has done that. I'm saying that he puts himself in danger of doing that when he aligns himself closely and tries to win the the uh, either the praise or the the uh, you know the approval of the mainstream media. All right. By the way, um, I was trying to think of that instance where I'd read that Pence kind of pushed back a little bit against uh, when he made a joke about, and it was when he made a joke about Pete Buttigieg at the same gridiron event that I was telling you about, where he kind of praised the media, which I thought was not a good idea. Um, when he, this is what he said about Buttigieg, he said, 
If Joe Biden doesn't run for re-election, there's Pete Buttigieg, who's an old friend of mine. When Pete's two children, you know, Buttigieg was in Indiana. He was in South. He was the mayor of South Bend. So when Pete's two children were born, he took two months maternity leave, whereupon thousands of travelers were stranded in airports. The air traffic system shut down. Airplanes nearly collided in midair, Pence said. I mean, Pete Buttigieg is the only person in human history to have a child and all the rest of us get postpartum depression. That was his joke. And, of course, he, he was making a joke about uh, Buttigieg going on maternity leave when, obviously, <laughs> you know, he, he didn't have a baby. They adopted or they uh, – I don't know how they got children, him and his, and his partner. I, I, I don't know that process. But they did. And there was some type of leave that Buttigieg took. That's what Pence was referring to. And when he, you know, the White House called on him to, to you know, basically self-flagellate and then go crawl to Buttigieg and apologize to him. And the Mark, Mark Short on Monday, who is chief of staff for Vice President Pence, he said that uh, the administration should spare America the faux outrage, and that it would be wise to focus less on placating the woke police and focus more on bank failures, planes nearly colliding in midair, train derailments, and the continued supply chain crisis. So that's a good thing. See, this is you go cozy up to the media. You make really nice statements about them. You tell them how they are keeping America informed at a time when most Americans have almost no confidence in the media. I don't think that advances your political career. But you stand up to when when the White House comes after you because you make a joke at a gridiron club and you stand up to them, that does advance your career. But which story is getting the most airplay? Well, if you do a quick search, it's not Pence pushing back against criticism over a joke he made about Pete Buttigieg. It's Mike Pence going after Donald Trump over January 6th. Mike Pence being critical of Donald Trump. Mike Pence congratulating the media on a job well done. I mean, that's what's in the media. That's what's in the, in, is getting reported, and that's not helping him if he wants to be president. All right. Um, Here's This is an interesting story here. All Democrats, this is coming from Daily Wire, Ryan Saavedra. All Democrats on Homeland Security, on the Homeland Security Committee, pulled out from attending a hearing in the field on, a, on the border crisis. This is the story. House Homeland Security Committee Chairman Mark Green, Republican from North Carolina, said in a statement Monday evening that all Democrats on the committee are pulling out from attending a hearing in the field about President Joe Biden's ongoing crisis at the U.S. southern border. The news comes as the administration has seen a historic flood of millions of illegal immigrants pouring into the U.S. under its watch, which is largely occurring because Biden's policies are acting as magnets for the migrants and cartel smugglers. I want you to listen to this report from the New York Times. I mean, this is the New York Times, not exactly a left-wing bastion, I mean, a right-wing bastion of conservative thought. They are a left-wing. 
The New York Times reported last year that the Mexican drug cartels went from marketing or went from making rather $500 million a year from human smuggling. I mean, I don't know. I guess they turned their books over to the New York Times. Where do you go to find what coyotes and human traffickers make? But they were making $500 million, according to the Times, in smuggling in 2018. In 2022, they made $13 billion. $13 billion. From half a billion to $13 billion. In case you're keeping track, that's a 2,500% increase. It's deeply disappointing that the minority members of the committee have chosen to bail on this week's full committee field hearing in Texas only after they invited and confirmed a minority witness for one of the panels, Green said. Mark Green, who's the uh, chairman of of the committee from North Carolina. The only message their absence sends is that they're uninterested in coming to the table to have a conversation about the devastation that has that that this border crisis is having on Americans and their communities across the country. We will continue to encourage our Democrat colleagues to get out of the D.C. echo chamber and meet Americans where they are to discuss the biggest issues facing them. Now, that's a great statement. Bernie Thompson, who's better, uh, excuse me, Benny Thompson, better known as the chairman of the uh, January 6th tail committee. He claimed that Democrats will not participate because it has become clear that Republicans plan to politicize this event from the start. Well, what do you think they're doing? I mean, this is so ridiculous. Benny Thompson comes out, oh, we're not, we're, we're pulling a political stunt. We're not going to go with our Democrat, I mean, our Republican colleagues to talk to the American people. And I mean, the headline of this could be, in a stunning political stunt, Benny Thompson calls out the Republicans for a stunning political stunt. It, and by the way, this is what Republicans should do. Go where the people are, listen to what their experiences are, learn from what they're dealing with every day, and then go back and fix the problem. But Democrats don't want to fix the problem. If you want to know the real problem in Washington when it comes to immigration, Democrats want open borders. Not every Democrat, but the vast majority of them do. They think it's the future of the Democrat Party. So they go out and they criticize any legitimate effort. They they don't want Biden shutting down the border. They want him just to to go out and tell everybody that the border is secure, now sit down and shut up. That's their border immigration plan. Lie and back up the lie by telling everybody that doesn't believe it to sit down and shut up because they just want to get through the next couple of years with continued massive illegal immigration at the border, continued drug cartel profits, continued marketing of fentanyl in the United States where we've got a record number of people dying because of fentanyl. All of that comes back to the border, and it's the federal government's responsibility. And they're failing miserably. All right, that's all the time we've got for today. As I said, I'm going to be heading to Columbia. We've got a press conference at 11. Ladies, if you're in the Columbia area or can get down there, come and join us. We're going to ask the Senate to pass H-3774, the Human Life Protection Act, Tomorrow, Austin Barker will be here. Uh, his swan song, I guess, with Gary Miller. 
and because uh, I have to stay over in Columbia tonight, head down to Charleston, get ready for this weekend. But I'll be on the air on Thursday.